appropriate song the ladies just played for us because Job chapter 3 really is Job taking his burden to the Lord in prayer. Wonderful opportunity to examine these 26 verses this morning. I would like to thank the Badig family for the gifting of these beautiful flowers up front of our auditorium this morning in memory of our dear Pat who passed away this last week. So thank you. And uh, Jeff, we love you and Sharon and the family and Thank you so much for allowing us to celebrate Mom's wonderful life in Christ here yesterday with you and yours. It was great encouragement to all of us who were able to attend. As you mourn this morning, we mourn with you, and I trust this morning's text will be a, a blessing uh, to your heart. Um, this is Ordinance Sunday. Uh, we'll be having two beautiful baptism testimonies offered this morning at the end of our service and then tonight we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together so I hope you're able to regather at six o'clock uh, to enjoy that as a church family uh, as we remember sufficient sacrifice of our Lord on the cross amen? amen all right well the last time we were together we we left poor Job lying motionless in the dirt experiencing every pain known to man and he was he was alone his life's been thrown into a blender on high speed that Bender, Blender has brought complete and calculable disorder to his formerly successful and orderly life. Satan is now nowhere to be found. It's just like Satan to bully his way around a life, tear some flesh, and just go prowl somewhere else seeking whom he may devour. Someone has said the worst pain known to man is to suffer calamity and have absolutely no rationale as to why or how that catastrophe has occurred. When my friend suddenly died of a heart attack, we all knew he had a family history of heart disease and he himself was always a bit overweight. When my other friend died of breast cancer, the family knew that that particular cancer gene was in the female bloodline of her family. When my mother-in-law was senselessly killed by a drunk driver, though as hard as that was to endure, we at least knew the source of the tragedy. A selfish soldier, home on weekend leave with an arm full of bar stamps he had frequented earlier that day and that evening. I have another friend whose small child had a tumor on his leg it was the same cancer my mom quickly lost her life to. He quickly passed as well. With Job's calamity, there's no tracing of anything. There's no why or how rationale known to man as to why someone like him would endure something apparently so senseless. So Job sits in humiliation. He no longer sits in the city gates like chapter nine, 29 tells us he did. But in the place of the diseased with malignant sores covering his body, having hardened into dark scabs as we encounter him in our reading today. He's emaciated, he's gaunt, 
thin to the point where his bones are showing, showing, Job chapter 17 tells us. He's revoltingly disfigured, as chapter 19 tells us as well. His breath reeks of disease. He has a fever, chapter 30 would later report. He's in chronic pain. Chapter 19, verses 13 to 19 tells us that he's been deserted by everybody. Again, the greatest pain for Job, he doesn't know where his God is that he valued above all. Therefore, he's suffering senselessly until the superlative love of his life, the Lord, makes some sense out of his trial. His friends have arrived a week later. They believe they have the answers to Job's calamity, but they appear to respect his agony. So they come to mourn with him, comfort him, weep, and just sit with him. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 teaches us. We know now and are so glad that they decided to sit silently for a week instead of speak to him. The horrible counsel and advice that they would soon share with Job, if given upon their arrival, probably would have killed him. Nonetheless, here we find Job in bewildered agony. How can a man of God think, speak, or act when in such agony? Well, we've already read the answer to these questions together a little bit ago. Job wants to know why all this has happened, and until he gets the answer from the Lord, he has a few other questions he'd like to ask as well. We've mentioned already that Job asks the question why some 20 times in this wisdom book, and, and God is pleased to never answer. In chapter 3 alone, we have almost a third of those mentions of the word why. The chapter simply divides with the use of three of these questions, why, in the following way. Verses 3 through 10, he asks the question, why was I born? In verses 11 to 19, why did I live? Or why am I still living? And in verses 20 to 26, why can't I just die? He says in verse 1, let the day perish in which I was born. Job's pretty consumed in his agony with wondering why his Lord would even allow the day of his birth. Some 16 times he references his birthday through verse 10. You may say, well, he had, a, he had it so good for so many years. Yes, everything and everyone is gone, but couldn't he just remember the good old days and stand up again after weeping and be in a place of agony for a week? There may be no one here bold enough to ask that question. And for that, I'm really glad. My friends, truly the agony of the unexpected events that befell Job could cause any of us to dive into some emotional darkness and confusion for quite some time. We're left here to be historic witnesses of how Job began to wrestle his way to fellowship with his Lord. At least he's speaking. 
let's not be surprised with what he says in the early days of his disorientation. Have you ever seen an animal get trapped? How does that animal first react? Does it ever settle until it's released and or breathes its last? We all know the answer to that for sure, but just remember the story of Elijah too. He was a man of subject to like passions as we are, as the book of James tells us. But Elijah, who didn't experience anything close to Job's calamity, still plummeted into deep depression after the tremendous victory over Jezebel and the prophets of Baal in 1 Corinthians 18 and 19. Adoniram Judson, missionary pioneered to Burma in the early 1800s after having lost several children and his wife, withdrew from ministry and society. He became a recluse. His soul convicted that he could not find faith enough to bring himself to be encouraged in the Lord after being such a gospel hero and faithful servant. He was driven to depression. History tells us that he dug himself an open grave and sat at its edge in deep meditation, bemoaning his own spiritual weakness. One author says he lamented being unable to find God, to hear from him, or to experience any deliverance from his own inner corruption in addition to the loss of his family. He sat pondering in pain the day of his birth. Why was I born? Job asks. And then he asks, why did I live? Here's where we see three usages of the question, why? Why did the knees receive me? It was custom at that point, as soon as a child was born, was to take that child and place him upon his father's knees. Where his father could recognize that child as his own. Why was I placed upon my father's knees at my birth? Why have the breasts fed me? If I'm not cared for at birth, I would have been an advantage to die. He goes on to say, I could have been like the princes and kings who are already dead and rest, enjoying the rebuilt ruins for themselves. In his emotional turmoil, we can see Job still wasn't even thinking correctly. It seems in his pain, he's become somewhat of a universalist. Everyone goes to better rest when they die. It's not until later when Job comes more to his senses as the pain wears off a bit that we find grace helping him reclaim conviction about his own eternal state and that of unbelief as well. He continues on in verse 16. It would have been better for me to be a miscarriage. He seems to be clearly saying that at least in the grave, I'm out of the reach of everything and everyone that could harm me. In verses 20 to 26, he asks the question, why can't I just die now? 
As Job speaks on the eighth day after his calamity ends, he's saying that death would be more dignified and dignifying than what he's enduring at that moment. If he suffered for nothing, then death would be a really good gift at this point. Verse 25 is intriguing to me. It says, For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Job seems to be saying he's human, after all. He seems to have wondered about what life would be like, how his heart would respond if calamity had ever invaded his life. He's probably been thinking for some time, things have been going so well for so long, certainly something's bad got to happen sometime. Well, now it's here, and it's beyond anything he could ever imagine, or any of us could imagine. So even though those who are described like Job several times with wonderful character, as we saw in chapter 1 and verse 1, there was a man, the land of us, whose name was Job, who was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil, the author of Job defines him like that two more times. So though Job is described with wonderful character, we're finding out that he too, as we, can be tempted with anxiety and worry about unknown difficulty. Nonetheless, Job would like to be treated with dignity at this time and just be allowed to breathe his last. Job mentions the name God twice in chapter 3. The first time in verse 4 where he asks God to not value the day of his birth. And the final time is in verse 23 where he seems to be blaming God for now not allowing him to die. So we leave chapter 3 with Job's words in verse 26. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. But I want to emphasize again, at least he's talking. I would like to conclude today with some applications for all of us taken from what we've observed so far and what we've read in chapter 3 of the book of Job. First of all, I would just like to make some observations here regarding Christians and whether they're allowed to be depressed or not. Do Christians get depressed? I would say they do. The most glamorous of Old Testament and New Testament believers struggled with depression. Studies tell us that one in Americans do, one in 20 Americans do. A few, years ago, a few years ago, one study that I read said depression was the cause of businesses losing $55 billion in lost income because people with depression had called off work and that much productivity was lost. There's a lot in the book of Job that teaches us Job was depressed. We already mentioned his weight loss, sleep disturbances, lethargy, and feelings of hopelessness. What about feelings of guilt and feelings of worthlessness? 
Yep, Job had those too. In addition, don't forget about his crying and his struggle to think properly in chapter 3 that we've already seen. Remember, too, that depression comes when tough things happen after we've been on high mountains. We already mentioned Elijah's story in 1 Kings 18 and 19. So if things are going really well for you now, praise God for that. But let's remember to remain in love with him and his word for that unexpected time of calamity. Because even there, you'll have dark moments. The character that defines you before the calamity will carry you through the calamity. Because Job had a healthy relationship with God and his word that was available at that time when calamity hit Job, he could face his depression, if you will, in an open and honest way. Again, Job's response seems a bit overboard and of little faith to us in our time but we should be amazed how healthy his readiness was to be immediately open with his God who he knew would hear even though Job didn't see him working in a moment on his behalf. Job's ability to just speak his pain to God and in so doing face his pain is not weakness but strength. It's not spin but speaking his weakness in the face of omnipotence. We find in time it's actually quite healthy for a believer to do so. If you still wonder if Job handled his depression well, think of what you've already read in Job that states much later in chapter 23 and verse 10 where he says, but God knows the way that I take and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. He's in chapter 3 working his way to that settled heart. Think too of Job's words in chapter 42 and verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, Lord. When we endure calamity, we never do it alone. God is with you. He is with us. He walks with us through it. And when we come out on the other side, like Job, we can do so with a much more intimate walk with God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers of London, several generations ago, battled depression. What would you think if any pastor spoke his words to you that he spoke on this particular Sunday morning service at the Metropolitan Tabernacle to over 5,000 members. He began a sermon by saying, I have to speak today to myself. And while I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust, to myself. For I need something which shall cheer my heart. Why, I cannot tell. Wherefore, I do not know, but I have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. My soul is cast down within me. I feel as I had rather die than live. 
All that God has done by me seems to have been forgotten and my spirit struggles and my courage breakdowns. Congregation, I need your prayer. If you were sitting at the London Tabernacle that morning, what would you think of your pastor? Well, I know you folks well enough to know that if any pastor here spoke these words from the pulpit before he preached, you would weep with him and you would pray for him. But I feel in our not-so-recent past that those words spoken by a pastor in our midst may have sparked a discussion or two about his spiritual integrity. You see, friends, Christians deal with depression with God, his word, and full disclosure both with God and man because we are tempted in like manner as our Savior was. Yet he without sin. I would ask you this question with utmost reverence. Was the humanity of our Savior ever depressed? Did not our Lord Jesus Christ ask his own father why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, like Job, was never given the answer. Heaven stood silent as the Savior obeyed the will of the Father. Didn't Jesus also say in a discouraged moment, if it be your will to allow this cup to pass from me, please, Lord, allow it, yet not my will, but thy will be done. My friends, stay open and transparent with the struggles of your soul. I beg of you, do this with your God in front of his word and with his saints who can weep with you as you weep knowing too that they endure similar temptations if not now it will in their future now as I close I'd like to discuss another question with you in relationship to how God describes Job several times in the first two chapters. We already read one in chapter 1 and verse 1, and he does so another couple times through the beginning of chapter 2. Job's a man of high character. He went through all this as we learned last week, and he never sinned with his lips. Many may say that Job's reaction in chapter 3 is to be compared to how much revealed truth of God he had at that time. In other words, with this, this character described three times like it was in chapters 1 and 2, how could he be so raw? How could he be so ungodly with his questioning in chapter number 3? And some people are saying it's because he didn't have all of the word of God that we have. I would like to unpack that rationale we kind of shoot it in the back we have had the benefit for knowing the rest of the story of the book of Job 
as we study on, we truly will see that Job, what Job knew about the Lord and the word that was revealed unto that time. Job endures the whole trial with the Lord, saying, Job never sinned with his lips, and he says to his friends in the end that they, not Job, need to set up an altar to make sacrifice for the sinful way in which they had advised Job about God. So think about that. Job never sinned with his lips, but his buddies that came along that didn't endure the affliction had to set up the altar of sacrifice. It's powerful truth here that's emerging from the context of this chapter. If I can encourage our hearts this way, we all need to admire and then embrace the nature of the power of God's word and its ability to administer grace and change no matter how much of it we have or know. As we read through the book, we realize that Job did indeed know much about God. His understanding of God would have come through hours and hours of meditation on the word that would have been revealed and available to him at that time. Remember, he's one of the earliest, if not the earliest writers of Scripture. So Job's endurance is a testimony of the power of God's word, no matter how much we have of it, to teach correct men and grow us all into spiritually mature people. We have all of God's word, not just a portion as Job had. So God's word by its very nature is therefore capable to keep us and cause us to endure by the Holy Spirit through our lighter affliction in our time as compared to Job. Let's also remember too that we're all human. Since the fall of our human natures hasn't changed since the fall, we can all expect each other to respond in calamity like Job did in chapter 3. Paul teaches there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will provide a way to escape. As one author stated, just because we have more of revealed truth than Job did doesn't mean that our human existence is more sanitized. We're still fallen and weak by nature. The word of God, no matter how much of it we have, remains quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it thoroughly ministers to the whole of our being and existence, but we're still fallen. Also like us to remember this, I think it's good for us to remember that the word of God in the New Testament teaches us that the Old Testament was written for our learning. Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 10. What do we learn from Job then in chapter 3? Not a lot. I, for one, am incredibly encouraged to be more honest and open with God and just tell Him what I'm feeling when I'm hurting. You can too. Think about this. If we don't, learned from Job in this regard. After knowing Job's heart and transparency, wouldn't that be the height of hypocrisy for us to just hurt and hold it in and not talk to God? 
Wouldn't our silence with God then be that which caused our emotional and increased physical malady? There's much to learn from Job at this juncture, but complete, open, and emotional expression of our hearts towards God when they hurt is certainly centerpiece here for all of us. Finally, Job didn't find peace and resolution with God in the end because he received new truth. He made good with the word of God that he had. Some of you that are newer to the Lord in your faith and you're going through really, really difficult times of calamity, you may look around at others that have been saved here for decades and you'll say, you know what, I'm not going to make it. There's just no way I'm going to make it because I don't know as much of the Bible as they do. I want to let you know one word of God's spoken word is enough not just to save you but also to keep you. Job didn't succeed because he got new truth. He made good with what he had. That's how powerful God's word is. Yes, this sounds much like our first lesson we discussed a few minutes ago. We learned about Job's way of mourning and hurting, but may it be the best lesson we learn today. Christ and his word are enough to carry us through earthly trial and calamity, no matter how difficult or how abandoned we feel or we are. God's grace would have us endure knowing that truth above all truths today. That if there's no one else beside you, no one else around you, behind you, or in front of you, to even model perseverance through calamity, God and his word are still enough. And yet he gives us so many to aid us in our battle. If you go back to the story of Adniram Judson, at the same time he was enduring his losses, a dear missionary friend of theirs lost her husband. If you remember, we left Adniram daily seated at the edge of a self-dug grave, staring into it, wondering why God wouldn't take his life for being such a doubter after all of his spiritual success. His dear friend's wife, Sarah, after losing her husband and much of her ministry life, was cheered by God in other ways. Historians tell us that Adniram found her to be content, resolute, and oddly cheerful, continuing on in life and remaining in ministry. Adniram remembers, and I quote, she had not sat for days by an open grave. She had equably accepted what came as the will of God and just kept on with his work. Not everybody handles calamity the same way, but each saint remains a saint. And God records the record of Job so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, 
we all may have hope. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this short look into this third chapter. Lord, though it may be more brief in our investigation, certainly no less powerful in our understanding of how capable your indwelling spirit is to take the portions of the word that we do know and illuminate the truth of the significance of those portions to our hearts that no matter whether we mourn and grieve like Adniram and Job or whether we mourn in ongoing service to the Lord like dear Sarah. We may understand that any thread of the ability to persevere is by your grace as your children, by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. I pray, Lord, for those of us that are experiencing deep depression I pray Lord that they might know the solace of heaven for their hearts and that they would understand that the cries of their hearts are understood in heavenly realms and that they would continue to express the cries of their hearts the deepest wonders and questions of their souls to their creator until he settles, until he answers. While we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator, as 1 Peter 4.19 says, while we continue to scrape and strive and struggle to do good things. We thank you for the testimony of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray.